talk to you about today, sometimes you have to hang on to even have a marked moment with God to get his word, to get his promise. And other times you have it and you got to hang on and not let go of it till you see the promise come to pass. Can anybody say amen this morning? So as we talk about it, I want to go to the life of Jacob. We talked about it a little bit last week. But I want to talk to you about hang on to your marked moments. Hang on to your marked moments with God. Now, as we go to Genesis 28, this is the first time that Jacob had had a marked moment with God. Jacob was a manipulator. Remember, he and his mother, they had manipulated Esau, his elder brother, out of the blessing, right? And once he was blessed, he had to run for his life, and she sent him to another country to her brother, her brother Laban, who was a crook. But J- Jacob was a manipulator. He was, you know, he was, uh, he stole his brother's birthright. He definitely wasn't perfect. So Jacob is a prime example that a marked moment with God doesn't require perfection. A marked moment with God doesn't require perfection. It just requires the gumption. Everybody say gumption. That'll be fun. Come on, gumption. Come on, gumption. Now you're a hillbilly. It just requires the gumption to hang on no matter what. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this amazing day. I thank you for the love of my life and my children and God, I just thank you for this house, this ministry, and all those people in our lives. And Lord, today, just begin to reveal to us and make clear when you've spoken divine moments in our life that maybe we've overlooked or maybe we're still believing for one to come to bring a promise we need to get through. Whatever it is, healing, restoration, family, finances, beating addiction, whatever it is, Lord, Let us see it clearly today, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. The church said, so let's look at at Jacob. He's a great illustration for this. And we're going to go to his first encounter with God, and this is when he had just ran away to go toward uh, Laban's country to serve him. Beginning in verse 12 of Genesis 28, he laid down, and he had an open vision or a dream. Then Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now he received this eternal promise, and it was a marked moment for him. And we know later it's called what? Bethel when he wrestles there with God. This is the first account that we have of God's presence coming to a location to a man. It's the first time that open the heavens were open like the windows of heaven 
and there was a literal ladder he saw in the spirit realm and angels ascending and descending. God let him see his work because in the old, under the old covenant times, Holy Spirit didn't live in us, right? Holy Spirit was only on God's kings, God's prophets, and God's priests. And he wasn't showing up all the time in their lives. Some of them rarely ever. But what we see is God is allowing, he's allowing Jacob to see the manifestation and his kingdom at work. And the place called Bethel is also the place of outpouring and the place of anointing and favor. That's why we named the church Bethel, about God's anointing and favor. And Bethel Harvest, to be a soul-winning church, right? And, and as he's doing that, he's seeing that. And it's this portal from heaven open, and God's standing at the top of it, speaking down to him. Now, another interesting divine moment, or, or well, not, I keep saying divine moment, don't I? But a, a marked moment is this. My grandmother, Mint Endicott, she was half Indian and half, I don't know what else, I guess, you know, Eastern Kentucky. And my grandfather was an Endicott, so he was a, I guess, Dutch whatever, but they were just poor hillbillies living in a hollow on Calf Creek. But before they were married, my grandfather at that time was, uh, he was uh, in the war, World War One, I, I guess, and then and he came home, he dated her, they got married. But before they got married, uh, she was taking care, her mother and father died at a very young age, and she had, I don't know, five or six siblings that she raised from, she was a teenager, and she was raising and one night, as they were starting to get pretty grown, Grandma Mint, they went into a spell. They had a spell. Well, back then, they didn't, what's a spell? We don't know what's happening, but it ain't right. In other words, she had a fever come on her, got really sick. So they put her in her bedroom. There was no doctor or hospital or emergency room, and people prayed or did whatever they did. But she was in there for like a couple weeks and unconscious, and they thought, surely she's going to die. But she said she knew she was going to die, but in her, she could hear her own heart and her own mind. And she said, but she said she laid there and all of a sudden she saw the window of heaven opened up like Jacob and she saw a ladder come down from heaven. And Jesus said, come on up. This is true. It's written at my brother's church. It's written in a book. Someone documented it years ago. And Jesus said, come on up, man. And she said, I'm climbing up these stairs to heaven through the portal of heaven. And she said, when I got there, like a lot of people, she described the beauty, the vivid colors. the It was amazing. I mean, she had a beautiful description of all of it. And being poor and raising, you know, your siblings, <laughs> who wants to come back to this place? And Jesus said, come closer. But I don't think she could see his face, but she knew it was Jesus. And as he began to speak to her, she's like, oh, my God, I'm home. This is, you know, like all of us, this is where I want to be. This is amazing. He's like, no, man, your time is not done. And she said, I got upset. I'm standing in front of Jesus. I'm like, what, you're going to just tease me? <laughs> so she's thinking. And he said, no, man, I just want you to know I love you and I've marked you. You go back. You're getting ready to wake up, and you'll be healed. And sure enough, right after that dream, she raises up, fever's gone, and she's got her total mind. Speaking and everything after two or three weeks of being unconscious. No one can really explain it. 
But I can explain it because of this, because when God has marked you with a moment, he is not going to let death or anything else, if you're willing to serve him, preempt what he wants to do through you. Because if she had died, my mom would have never been born. And if my mom had never been born, I wouldn't be born. And if I hadn't been born, I don't know where you'd be going to church. There wouldn't be a Bethel. Right? So our marked moments are so emphatically important that we, we must always cherish them. And I could go through multiple marked moments that I've had with that. She had another vision one time. Grandpa Harry had passed away. He died at 78 or something. She was like 97, getting ready to turn 98, I think, when she passed away. He's a little bit older than her. But <clears throat> so she's like laying there. He had passed away, and she's pretty tore up. And all of a sudden, she had another vision. And God brought Grandpa Harry into her presence. I get cold chills talking because I know my grandma don't lie, right? And she said, I saw Harry, and I saw him just come right up over my bed. Like when we dated, when he was like 21 or two, beautiful, handsome young man just back from the war. He said, don't worry, Manny. You'll be with me soon. Just want you to know I'm with Daddy. I'm with God. And he left. So she had two marked moments. Now, one moment she had that marked me, as you've heard me tell the story on Calf Creek, there's a little schoolhouse that was a church, a school and everything, one room like you see on Little House on the Prairie, basically, about like that, for all you old people like me. And so, but there was three different hollows that ended right there. So it was like cousins and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and parents and all that all up in those halls. But there was not really a church at that time there. And Grandma Mint would go down and hold Sunday school, and she would have a, close to 100 children coming down, dropped off for her to have Sunday school, this Sunday school, this little old church. Probably not 100, it was packed, so probably 50 or 60. And she said, I would pray, I would call, I beg, I'd write letters, I'd pray. For every evangelist coming through town, would you just please come over and preach to our, to our children? And occasionally they would. And then she said, I just got tired of it. said, Lord, I want a preacher in my family. I got all these kids and grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. But this is before she had all them. She just had kids at this time. She said, I want a preacher in my family. Well, it didn't happen in the first of her children. And it didn't happen until me and then my brother was called, Terry. And I think about that, and she just wept when we were called. She just wept because that time she was living with mom the last 10 years of her life. And she just wept whenever she saw that I was called. And then my brother felt called to preach the gospel. And it just really inundated me in such a way to realize the significance and the importance of these times that we've had with God that maybe we don't think they're a marked moment. These times that those we love and know and trust have had with God and we go, oh, that's a great story. But what I want you to realize is as we look at the life of Jacob, he, he had to hang on to the promise that God gave him. He had to hang on to it. And there's times my grandma had to hang on all the way to grown grandchildren. And mom was the next to the youngest. She had a lot of grandchildren. And by the time I was called, she had a bunch of great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren before God gave her a preacher. But she never forgot it. And she just wept 
said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I finally got a preacher in my family. And that marked me. And it's like, how could you ever doubt your call when your granny at that time, she was 92 or something like that. How could you ever doubt that you're called? Not only that you know you and God and he calls you, but when grandma shares a marked moment with God to confirm, so God didn't just give her one. My brother pastors in Eastern Kentucky, he gave her two. And then after that, I think there's been some more somewhere down through the line, probably great-grandkids or whatever. So never underestimate when someone you know and trust is telling you a story and you go, oh, that's cool. Stop and think about it. When it has to do with God and destiny and promise and all of those things, begin to think about it. Say, okay, Lord, what does that mean for me? That's my family or that's my friend or that, or what's it mean for those I know and love? And then begin to realize so many times when you get an unction from God, that's a word of knowledge. You, you get an impression in your heart. That's a word of knowledge from God speaking a truth to you, speaking a promise to you. And what we see here is that God gave Jacob, what, an eternal promise during his very first marked moment with him. But Jacob had to hang on to it for 21 years before he saw the manifestation of it. Remember the story when he went out there and he saw Rebecca, and that's who he loved and wanted to marry? But he had to work seven years for Laban, Laban, right? And Laban's flock grew, his, his, his sheep grew, his cattle grew. He was blessed. And then the, the wedding came in the dark tent, and they put Leah in instead of Rebecca. And when he went in and lay with her, because he couldn't see and then he found out in the morning it was Leah. He was so upset, and Laban was laughing at him. Give me seven more years, and you can have Rebecca too. And he worked seven more years. And then he said, "Well, not yet. Give me seven more years, and you, you can have Rebecca. You can marry Rebecca now, but you can't leave. Just seven more years. No, you can't marry, but you have to wait. Twenty-one years." At this point, I bet he's not even thinking about that encounter with God. He's thinking about, can I get away with killing my uncle and that be okay? And you know the story. Finally, he let him go, let him marry Rebecca, let him go, and he took all the sheep with spots because he had specially bred them, and he's going home. But what's amazing is never underestimate the power of a moment that you have with God and just say, well, that must have just been pizza. It might as well have been pizza. It doesn't matter what God said to you if you don't have faith for it. Faith for it. What You have to fight for the promises of God. They don't just happen. And a lot of times fighting is not fun. It's not, it's not the wrestling match you intended to have, right? And, and it's, it, you get wounds and you get hurts from that. But Jacob, what did he do? He had to hang on even though he knew he was marked by God. Now we jump to his second uh, encounter with God, his second marked moment with God in Genesis 32. And when we begin to read about it and about this marked moment, what I want you to get out of this, I'm not going to just read the whole passage. I'm going to just go verse by verse through parts of it. But what I want to talk to you is about four things you may experience before you have a marked moment with God. Four things you may experience before you have a marked moment with God. The first thing you might experience is you feel like you're in a wrestling match for your life by yourself. This could be preparation for your marked moment. What do you got to do? 
hang on. We see that in Genesis 32, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. What, when was he left alone? He, he heard his brother was coming with thousands of soldiers to meet him. And he went back to this place, which later was called Bethel, where he had his first encounter with God. And when the, his spies told him that Laban was coming with thousands of soldiers, and he just had maybe a few hundred servants plus his family and wives, and he said, take her over there to the other side of the river, take all my wives, my children, everything over there. I'm just going to stay here and meet my brother by myself. Well, when he stayed there to meet his brother by himself, thinking surely he's going to die, right? Whenever he's staying there to do that, that's when he had this encounter with God, this marked moment by God, from God. And it says, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. You see, he was more concerned about facing his brother. But remember, no weapon, whether it's a relative or anything else, formed against you can prosper. Remember, no attack from the enemy that he sets up can prosper when God's involved. It might be a little, you know, wrestling match for a while. And it might not feel good, and it might leave some marks. But when you trust God and know he gave you that word in that marked moment, what you got to do is realize that I got to, even though he has a right to kill me, I stole his birthright and all that, and that's it. And he's so focused on it. What's he going to do with Jacob? I mean, Esau, how's he going to handle it? But what God really wanted him to do is not focus on the potential weapon, focus on himself. God said, if I could get you, Jacob, to see who you are, Esau will be no problem for you. So when we're all times that we're getting ready to enter into a marked moment and we're to the end of ourselves and we're broken and we're weary, we're tired, what happens? Whenever we're in that moment, whenever we're in that time, just remember, is this when God is getting ready to have a marked moment with me to bring a marked moment promise to me in my life or a marked moment answer to me? So whenever he was in this marked moment with God and he had to face himself and now he's just sitting there by himself going through his mind, my family could be killed or they're going to be fatherless. Who knows who will have my family and I'm going to be, you know, an embarrassment to everyone. He was alone, but he wasn't alone. He was alone, but he wasn't alone. And he, while he was alone, he made the choice, I'm going to hang on anyway. I'm not going to leave this spot. I'm going to hang on anyway. The second thing you might realize when you may be ready to have a marked moment with God is you may be hurt or wounded. Hurt or wounded. Look at verse 25. It said, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with God. While Jacob is hanging on for the promise, hanging on for this time with God, he's hanging on for the last marked moment, and God is marking him now because here in a few minutes he realizes it's not a man, it's God. It wasn't an angel from the Lord, it's God. It's translated there, God. And, and, and he's, he's, he's finally starting to get this. And what I want you, even in the midst of your times with God, you can still be battling hurts and wounds. Jacob was wounded in the struggle to hang on. Literally, in this instance, 
But the wounds of the past 21 years were not even relevant at this time while he was wrestling with God. He had been lied to by Laban. He had been running for his life. And now I want to ask you, will you allow your hurts and wounds stop you from hanging on? Stop blaming everybody else. Look at yourself. Take responsibility. We call it man up or put your big boy pants on, big girl pants on. I always say it like this, buckle up, little buckaroo. And I have to tell myself that sometimes. That I just got to buckle up, little buckaroo. I know what God told me, and maybe I hurt, got hurt, wounded, because I got off track or this or that, but I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on for my life. I'm going to hang on for my family. I'm going to hang on for the ministry. I'm going to hang on for God. The th third thing you might realize when you may be close to experience a mark, a mark moment with God is you're tired. You're just worn out. You don't have the energy. You don't have the will to fight, the energy to fight. We see that in verse 25, the first part of it. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. God said, let me go for the day breaks. Now, not only had Jacob been wrestling all night, he had been wrestling his whole life. He had been in a struggle his whole life. He never measured up. His mother, you know, she wanted him, you know, to be like Esau. He was the oldest. He was the man's man, right? Really, I think they were twins, weren't they? And he just, yeah, and Esau just beat him out by a little bit. And they marked him with a little ribbon and all that. But he was the one that hung with his mom, did more of the cultural things around the home. Esau was the one his dad was proud of. He was the hunter, the fighter, the warrior. And, you know, he had all the hair and all that and, you know, macho, all that stuff. So his whole life, he fought against the fact he was a younger one. He wasn't going to get the inheritance. He's going to serve his parents until he dies. He's going to serve until they die. He's going to serve Esau and his family and be a basically second-class citizen in his own home. And, and that involved wealth and everything else. Then finally, his mother just kept nagging him, nagging him, and they tricked Esau, uh, tricked uh, uh, Jacob, I mean, uh, Joseph, right? Yeah, his dad. And so they tricked him. As they tricked him, who was it? Moses? Isaac. My goodness. Whew. You got me all tore up, you hot girl sitting over on that front row. James, you need to scoot over that way a little bit. I know you're one seat away, but I don't think that's enough. Hallelujah. So, so here he is, and, you know, Isaac gets tricked too. And I, I don't even feel Jacob reading that story many times that he even wanted to do it, but he was more afraid of his mother than he was his dad. <laughs> his dad was dying, and they did it. Now she says, oh, by the way, you got to run for your life and go to my crazy brother Laban, who everybody knew was a nut but he's in another country now. Then he gets misabused, mistreated, you know, lied to, cheated, all those things. And even at one point, his father-in-law was thinking about killing him and chased him down when he left. But he knew God spoke to him, the angel of the Lord spoke to him, and he let him go. That was just to get him to the stage where he's getting ready to face the real battle, his brother Esau, who had an army who could really do him harm. So he had been wrestling. He had been fighting. He had been struggling. He had been hanging on. 
a lot of times you say, why is everybody always picking on me? Why is it always going against me? Why do I always seem like I'm in a fight? Why does it always seem like I'm in a struggle? Because the promise is so great over your life. The promise is so great that you have to be strong to handle it. And you go through painful things, hurtful things, betrayal things. You go through betraying and hurting other people even because you're hurt. Because hurt people hurt people. And you have to repent and you have to grow. But through all of that, God's not making it happen to you, but he does allow it. Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to stand up on your own. He wants you to walk the way he wants you to walk and talk the way he wants you to talk and do what he wants you to do. And he will empower you, but he's got to see you go through the struggle. You know, second-generation kids get jobs and vehicles and all that stuff handled to them. Maybe one out of ten come out okay the first decade of their adulthood. Some of them never come out of it. Why? Because they didn't wrestle, fight, and struggle for the promise that their parents did, but they are entitled thinking this is what I deserve because of who I am. No, you have that because of who your parents were. You don't deserve anything but to breathe. Because if they didn't have, weren't involved, you wouldn't be breathing right now. Well, my parents, you know, they were poor, and I'm wealthy. Well, they had something that they put in you. Even if they had to kick your butt a lot, it made something out of you where you found out a way to succeed. Say amen, ouch, if you want to. But he was tired because he had been fighting 21 years. He was fighting for approval his whole life. He was fighting over the blessing he didn't even really want his whole life. He was fighting for the love and for his wives his whole, all these years. And then he's even fighting with himself, how could I ever forgive myself? I don't even deserve to live anyway with what I did to my brother Esau. What do you got to do when you don't have any strength and you're tired? You got to hang on. Somebody say, hang on. And the fourth one is this. If you're desperate for God's blessing, if you're desperate for God's blessing, you are ready for a marked moment with God. Sometimes we just got to be desperate. We see it beginning in 25 again. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me to God. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You know why his name meant? Deceiver, supplanter. Can you imagine that every time you go out? Deceiver, go, go milk the cows. Deceiver, go move the sheep. Deceiver, go get firewood. Deceiver, do this. Deceiver, supplanter, manipulator. Who would name their child that? <clears throat> well, we know who. God bless them. You, don't, you can't get everything right even if you're a, you know, anointed of God. They got that wrong. But he said, you will not be called Jacob, deceiver, or supplanter, but Israel, prince of God. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Man, think about that. He had to struggle and hang on. He actually had to struggle with himself, and he had to struggle with God, and he had to struggle with other people. Sometimes you're struggling with God, and he's just waiting for you to give up. Not my way, Lord, but your way. 
Like, I struggle with God who's been a Christian now for eight years, seven years, believing for a wife, dating a couple girls, and wasn't it. Then I meet Steph, and we're like, no, and we're probably going to get married even in the first several months we knew. And then God says, can you give her to me? Can you give her back to me? And I'm like, wow. You know what I had to do? I had to let go and hang on because God always told me he would give me a wife for three important things. Number one, I would be attracted to her. She'd be attracted to me. That's a good thing, guys. The second thing, we would line up in our soul. What's that? Your decisions. Doesn't mean we always love and like everything the same, but we would line up in our decision making, our souls, our mind, will, and emotion, our purpose, our dreams. And I wanted a woman that, and then the third thing, we'd line up spiritually. Same belief, faith. Didn't mean she had to have a public ministry, but she had to be called to the ministry. And in that being called to the ministry, uh, we, we begin to realize that it's talking about more than just cause. Me and her were in alignment and knew we were marked. We were, she, and I wanted it to be a spiritual thing to where she had her own relationship with God. It wasn't dependent on me to be her spiritual coach. But she's my wife and I'm her husband. We're one together. And I, I'm thinking before I say yes, Lord, I'm like, wait a minute, God. This all lines up here, bro. Wow, I got tears running down my face at 28 years old. My little S10 on a back road, Ohio, out in the woods. But God, sometimes you can have the very thing you know was promised to you, but you've got to also let go. Sometimes he wants you to let go of things that will hurt you or harm you. But other times, it's the very thing that you believe for. And it's about ready to manifest, and you got to let go. Why? Because he wants you to realize it's not you. Why are you weak? So you can be strong in him. Why are people sick? So they can be healed by him. So when we begin to understand this process, we begin to understand this principle, we begin to realize these marked moments and how significant they are to us. And that we have to hang on as strong as much as humanly possible and spiritually to what we know that we know God did or is going to do in our lives. And as I'm wrapping up here, when you have a face-to-face encounter with God, what's it do? It changes everything. I said it changes everything. Look down at verses 29 and 30. Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Penal, face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Why? Because God had told him, don't worry about it. Your brother's not going to kill you. Just go get your family and go across, and he'll meet you. And that's what happened. And he embraced Jacob. Well, Israel at this time. Jacob had a, re- a breakthrough. Why? Because he refused to let go. He kept hanging on. When God marks us, we're different. When God marks us, we're different. We're, we're, you, you can run from, I look around and see some faces in here. You're running from God. And I just look at you. You know when I see you, you know I know you're running from God. You're distracted with this. And you're distracted with that. And you're doing this. And you're doing that. But you're not doing what God said. And you won't be happy. You won't. 
because you've been marked. Sometimes you say, I wish I wasn't marked. Well, you'd probably go to hell someday. But when you're marked by God and you know it, you think you just erase it with an eraser? No, it's a scar that'll be there forever, either for your good or for your bad, but it's there. And you're not your own anymore. Born again means something had to die. So we see this. Why are we different forever? Verse 31. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the, the river there, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Whenever you're marked by God, you have a limp. People can't see the limp. It's not like it's a physical limp, but it's a limp in you that any time you try to run from God, you can't run, you're limping away. It's, it's when you come in and somebody tries to read your spirit and they go, there's a limp, there's something different about her or him. I better be careful how I deal with them. Why? Because you have a limp. What's a limp? That means I've been marked by God. Think about the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Whenever he talked about the messenger, uh, Satan, you know, and people say, oh, you know, he had one leg shorter than the other or he had this or that. No, it was a messenger from Satan. Why? The, the, the old covenant is good, but the new covenant is gooder, better, right? The old covenant is whenever God was showing them the law of what you have to live without me. The new covenant is in the blood of Jesus, and we are not entitled. We are born into his family, and we have kingdom rights, and we're sons and daughters of God. The old covenant, there was a physical manifestation for Jacob to get his name changed, and God himself struck his hip to mark him forever, and it was out of socket, never went back in, and he was that man of God with a limp. Paul was a man of God with a limp, but it happened to him spiritually. And God was reminding him, the reason the messenger is, keeps buffeting you, buddy, is because I had to knock you off your donkey, your camel, for you to even come to me. So I don't want you to ever forget your Damascus experience. You, 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 you're, if I want to bring stuff up, uh, Paul, you know, you murdered, you martyred Stephen. You murdered families. You imprisoned families. And the entire city of Jerusalem had to run and flee from you for their lives because they were Christians. But God didn't say that to him because that's done. It's under the blood. But he had a limp right here. Paul, Paul never forgot who he was. Paul never forgot what God did for him. Paul never forgot how God took hate out of him and bitterness and prejudice out of him. Whenever he'd get upset and angry, I'm sure he's like, okay. But who am I without God? I've been marked. I have a limp. <laughs> so when we begin to realize that we're struggling, we're fighting, we need to slow down a minute and say, God, is this affecting my limp? Is this a limp in my heart to show me I got to work on this? Or is this a limp in my heart to show that I got to have faith for something or someone? Or is this a limp that I have because I'm running from your plan? Hmm? So we see this and, and we begin to understand that every time Jacob took a step, now he's getting ready to be named Israel, was a reminder of the night when he hung on until he had victory. See, your limp is a sign that you hung on till you had victory. You hung on till you were marked. You were hung on 
to you uh, were touched by God. Anybody in here need a marked moment with God? Some area of your life or multiple, do you need a marked moment with God? Well, marked moments with God does not come without a limp. What's a limp mean? It means you re-give everything in your life to him. It means that he is in control, not you. He is in control, not you. We all have some things we're carrying, but one encounter with God will take care of it. One encounter with God will take care of it. It would answer all of our needs. Just one marked moment with God can change your forever. Like Jacob, have a mentality that says, Lord, I won't leave this moment without your blessing. I will hang on for my marked moment promise. I like everyone to stand. If you're believing for a marked moment, I want to pray. Come on down here. I want to pray. If you're believing for a marked moment with God, man, it, it, in other words, this is something that can't change without you, Lord. Or something can't change in me without you. Or something can't move without you, Lord. Y'all might want to get close because a lot of people can. Just come on. Come on. It's a step. It's when you take this step, what's it doing? You're saying, I don't care. Who knows? I don't care what they think. I need this marked moment from God. You might need it for your health, your finances, your family. I don't know. But I need this marked moment with God. Just come on up. Help him in here. Help him in here. Yeah. I need this marked moment with God. Sam, would you move this, buddy? This is fine. Just move it. I need this mark. Just come right on over here, guys. Just fill in over here. Just fill in over here. Just fill in. Just fill in. Lord, I, I can't do it without you. Lord, I know i got to go through some stuff in the near future, and there's no way I could go through it alone. So I choose to be alone with you if I must. I'd rather be alone with you than in a crowd without you. Lord, I, I need to know your plan. I need to know your purpose, your will. Or you might be saying, God, why? What do I got to do to get back on your plan, to get back in your will? Or you might be saying, God, have I lost it or am I just in the process? Whatever it is, he's here. Now, everyone doesn't understand your limp. That's why it's a limp. They don't understand decisions you have to make. They don't understand Sometimes you got to make tough decisions to keep yourself on the plan of God. If other people don't want to go, it's their issue. Family, friends, cousins, brothers, it don't matter. Preachers, ministers, it don't matter. Because you know you have a limp with God. And you got to please Him. And the only way you're going to live is to please God. Put Him first above all things. Just bow your head right now and Get that in your heart, your spirit. What is the mark moment promise you need right now? You obviously know it. Lord, how can I receive it? Lord, 
how can I manifest it? Lord, it's manifested, but how can I keep it? I'm up here today, Lord, saying I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on till it comes, or I'm hanging on to keep it, or I'm hanging on till it comes back. But, Lord, I'm not letting go. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm hanging on. 